to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. I want to talk today about your future. I think as Christians, we spend a lot of time focusing on our past. But I think the Bible presents to us a different narrative. I want to talk to you today about the future that God has for you. And I'm carrying something in my spirit for you guys because you live in the second greatest city in the world. (laughs) And, And that's a pretty awesome thing, amen? You guys get to live in the second greatest city, the one that God has anointed second best. I'm a little bit biased. But I believe that you guys are at a point where the Lord wants to release you into something in your future that's going to be even greater than what you've experienced in your past. I want to, I want to start today by talking about a story. I, um, I, I have a phobia. Do you guys know what phobias are? Fears? I have a phobia. Um, this phobia started when I was young. Uh, my phobia is the ocean. I can't stand the ocean, which is a problem when you live in the greatest city in the world, Hong Kong, um, because Hong Kong is 200 and something islands. It's made up of 200 islands. So you're surrounded by the ocean all the time. Now, I, I don't mind um, kind of floating on the ocean on a boat. I don't even mind walking along a beach and dipping my toes in the ocean. But the idea of swimming in the ocean fills me with absolute dread. Now this, I'm not entirely sure, but I think this fear came upon me when I was eight years old and my parents let me watch the movie Jaws. Anyone ever watch Jaws? <laughs> if you haven't watched Jaws, don't watch Jaws. Okay, if you, like, if you like the ocean, do not watch it. So as an eight-year-old, I'm watching Jaws and I've got like these two pillows and they're in front of my face and every time the shark appears, I'm like losing it as an eight-year-old. I also have a mild phobia of cello music as well, both of those things together. And as the shark would come, I would freak out and I was like, I don't want to ever swim in the ocean if that thing is in the ocean. Now, growing up in Hong Kong, when, you, when you're afraid of going in the ocean, it's a tough thing. We had boat parties all the time. I don't know if you do that here in Singapore, but in Hong Kong, we had boat parties. And as a teenager, a young teenager, I'd go out on these boat parties with my mates, and they'd all be swimming in the water having fun. And I was the loser in the rowboat, kind of rowing to try to keep up with all my friends because I didn't want to go in the water. In fact, from the age of 8 to the age of 15, I never once went in the ocean at all. But at the age of 15, I was on a family holiday in the Seychelles, which is a beautiful island off the coast of the Indian Ocean. My, my parents were ironic because they always would take us on holidays around the ocean. And I think my parents wanted to break something over me. I don't know what they were trying to do to me, but we'd always end up at a beach holiday somewhere near the ocean. And here we are in the Seychelles. It's a small little island. When you're on the Seychelles, you're surrounded by a lot of ocean. And I get to the I get to the hotel, and there's this thing saying, a one-day scuba diving experience. And I thought to myself, as a 15-year-old, I thought to myself, this is a great opportunity to break my fear. This is a great opportunity for me to walk into some new freedom. And so I went to my mom and dad, and I said, I want to sign up for the one-day scuba diving experience. My mom was like, you what? But you hate the ocean." I said, yeah, I hate the ocean, but I think whether if I, if I could scuba dive, if I could go into the ocean, if I could go down under the ocean, down to the floor of the ocean, and if I could swim around there and see how beautiful it is, I might, from that point onwards, love the ocean. 
So my parents were like, okay, sure, sign me up. Now, now the scuba diving was a one-day experience. You did everything in the day, right? So we met for the first hour in a classroom, and they gave us all the theory about scuba diving. And I can summarize that theory for you in, in one statement. They basically said over an hour, they said, when you're under the water, don't have a moment of uncertainty. Because, in other words, don't panic when you're underwater. Don't have a moment of uncertainty. And I'm thinking to myself, that's the only thing I'm going to have when I'm under the water, is a moment of uncertainty. After an hour of teaching, they take you into the swimming pool. And we spent two hours, this is so funny, big resort. We're in the bottom of the swimming pool whilst all the other tourists are on the top of the swimming pool. We're down in the bottom of it learning how to scuba dive. And we, we learned how to take the mask off and take the regulator out and put it back on. Like all the basic kind of stuff you need to know. And I was a really good scuba diver in the swimming pool. Really good. Like I was fine, like not a problem, enjoyed everything. It was great. Then we had lunch, and the plan after lunch was to get in a boat, go about 300 yards off of the, uh, the beach, get 300 yards out, and at that point, they're going to drop the anchor, about 30 meters of water. And then the idea was that the scuba diving team would go, and they would descend down the anchor rope. They would swim around the bottom of the ocean for about 20 minutes, and then come back up the anchor rope. And that was our one-day scuba diving experience. I got in the boat. 15 years old, wanting freedom from my fear, my heart's going 100 miles an hour. And all I can think is that this is the worst decision I have ever made. When we're on the boat, they, they, they partner you up with people, like a buddy, like a diving buddy. I have a diving buddy. He's a French guy. Now, I, I hardly speak any words of French. He hardly spoke any words of English. But when he looked at me, he could see terror in my eyes. And so as he's sitting there, he's thinking, oh, this is the guy that I'm going to have to... And he looks at me and he goes, uh, uh, is in the water, uh, no moment of uncertainty, please. No, uh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll try. You know, thinking to myself, that's all I'm going to have when I'm in the water. Anyway, we get out, they, they drop the anchor rope, and all the other scuba divers are super excited. You know, they're all in the water. I'm like the last in there. My French guy's going, is water, you go in. He's trying to get me in the water, and... And he gets in, and he's floating out towards the anchor rope. And I'm like, well, I just got to... I, I remember, I haven't been in the ocean you know, since I was about eight years old. I literally fall into the ocean because I, I don't want to kind of slowly get in. I just fell in. I, I then floated out towards the anchor rope. And my French friend, he, he starts to descend down the anchor rope, lets the air out and goes down. And I'm like, well, this is it. Either I do it now or I'm never going to do it. Let the air out start to go down the anchor rope. My French guy is about five meters below me. I get about five meters below, and I sense a movement on my right-hand side. Now, when you're scuba diving, you can't just go, oh, what's that, right? You're like in the water with lots of equipment on you and stuff. So I'm like floating down there, coming down the anchor rope. I feel, sense something on my right-hand side, and I kind of like scuba dive turn, you know, like this, and a shark swims past me. On the right, swims past me on the right, it goes down towards the other scuba divers and then swims off into the horizon. This classifies as a moment of uncertainty. <laughs> the one thing that I dread the most, I'm in the water five minutes. Five minutes, Jesus. 
And I had been praying that you would bring me freedom from my fear. And within five minutes, a shark swims past me on the right, down towards everybody else, and swims off into the horizon. Now, I have, I, with all the courage that I could get from my friends that are down below me, I completely ignore them and panic and swim straight back up to the surface. Now, thankfully, I'm only about five meters below, so no, no worries of bends or anything like that. I get straight back up to the surface, and I'm like, you know, like swimming as fast as I can to the boat. And there's like this Seychelles boat boy on the boat, right? And I'm swimming like this, and, and I get to the edge of the boat, and he bends down, and he pulls me up, and he lays me on my back on the, the, the bottom of the boat. I rip off my mask. I, I drag out my, my regulator, and I'm about to shout, Shark! Shark! And he stands over me, and he goes, Hey, man, did you see the dolphin? I, uh, and I look at him, I'm like, yeah, I saw the dolphin. I wanted to make sure you saw the dolphin. Did you see the dolphin? You know? <laughs> when I reflect back on that moment, here's what I think. Isn't it kind of scary how a fear in your past can be so strong that it can distort the reality of your present? That, that when God... I wanted, I desired to be free from my phobia. And I go into the water and I've been praying to Jesus that I would get this freedom. And guess what Jesus does? He goes, sure, let me send to you the most beautiful mammal that swims in the ocean to show you how beautiful the thing is that you're doing. And because I'm so trapped in some fear from my past that I distort the reality of my presence and I turn a dolphin into a shark. See, I think there's something about us where our, our fears in our past, our situations in our past, life that happens in our past can be so strong that it begins to create for us a, a present that is not the one that is actually the reality that we're facing. And therefore, the future that gets created out of that is one that reflects far more the past broken thing than it does actually the future thing that God desires. I wonder whether you have a tendency to turn dolphins into sharks. I, um, <laughs> what is the thing in your life that you're really seeking for freedom in? We all struggle with stuff, don't we? There's brokenness for all of us. There's stuff that we struggle with. There's stuff that we have to really wrestle with. What is the, the one thing for you and your freedom that you're really, really struggling with? Because here's the, here's the reality. We so often long in the future for this freedom, but our present reality so often keeps us locked in our past. And our past seems to become the thing that, that actually dominates who we are today and who we are in the future. And when I look at Scripture, I don't see it like that. And I wonder for you today as you come into church, whether you're slightly fuzzy from last light or not, but you're here, and I think you're here for a reason. I don't think anyone's in this room by mistake. So I think for, for each one of you, there's something perhaps that you're longing for in your future. There's, there's a freedom. There's a release. There's something that's just ahead here. Maybe God's promised you something. Maybe there's something that sits on your heart and your desire, and it's kind of like right there. But the reality of your presence seems to keep you locked in your past. I want to I frame the concept today of what God wants for you. And here's what he wants. He wants you to create your future. I think actually God 
created us to partner with him in the creation of the future. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, one of the things that I hate the most as a pastor is social events, <laughs> like cocktail parties. And the reason why, I don't, I don't know what it's like here in Singapore, but here's what it's like in Hong Kong. When you go to like a cocktail party or a social event, within like about 10 seconds of meeting someone that you've never met before, here's the question they will ask you. They will say, so what do you do? And I hate that because nobody wants to meet a pastor. Like no one wants to meet a pastor. Because when you tell them that you're a pastor, they think two things, right? Either one, you're like some Jedi master who can read their thoughts in that moment. And you can see all the bad things that they're thinking, all the bad things that they've ever done. And that freaks them out and they don't want that. Or they think I'm like some multi-level marketing expert, you know, who, who like is like some living, breathing Ponzi scheme and is going to like convince them to like, like convert to this hippie Jesus. And they don't want that stuff either. And so when I say I'm a pastor, it's a nightmare. So I've actually learned not to say that. Um, what, what I now say uh, is something very different. They, they ask me what I do. So I, I give them literally what I do. And, and here's what I say. I say, I get the great privilege of being invited in to the very worst moments of people's lives, and I get to sit with them in it. The very worst moments of people's lives. Because the reality is nobody needs their pastor when things are going well. None of you send Daniel an email when you get a promotion. None of you do that. I know you don't. Nobody invites their pastor on a holiday to Bali. Like, it just doesn't... That just doesn't happen, right? But when things are not going well, when things are struggling, when things are hard, that's when we reach out and we need that support and that comfort and the pastor. We want them to be around us. And I think it is the greatest privilege as a pastor that we get to sit with people in the real broken moments of their lives, the worst moments. In the last four years, I have sat with a, a grieving mother as she holds her dead child in her arms. I've, I, I've, I've rushed out of my house at 3 in the morning when one of our congregation members calls me up and she's just discovered that her husband is cheating on her. I had to sit recently with a family who are trying to come to the uncomprehensible reality that their teenage daughter has committed suicide. The worst moments of life. And when you spend enough time with people in the worst moments of life, you actually learn a lot about the human race. You actually learn a lot about the Christian faith. And here's something that I've noticed. Remember, these are all Christians, a part of my congregation. Here's what I've noticed. That there are some Christians who can face the absolute worst moments of life, the worst things that life will ever throw at you. And somehow towards in the future, they're able to go on and flourish again. And yet there are also some Christians who face the same worst moments, the same hard things, and never ever seem to go beyond them. Who for the rest of their lives turn dolphins into sharks. And one of the things as a pastor that's really buzzing in my heart in this season is simply this. What's the difference between these two groups of people? Because they're both Christians, they love Jesus, so it's not just Jesus, there has to be something else. What is it that enables some to experience the worst, deepest disruptions of life and seem to be able to move beyond them? And others experience those same deep disruptions and never overcome them. Don't you want to know what would be the difference? Or let me, let me say this personally to you this morning, let me put it like this. What's going to enable you to actually receive that freedom that you long for rather than just kind of hope and dream for it right now? 
What's going to enable you to actually experience that freedom rather than just long for it? I think part of the answer lies in the direction in which you live your life. Let me explain this. In every moment of life, there are three paradigms at work shaping your life. Your past, your present, and your future. Those three are always at work at every moment in your life. And every single one of us in the human race, we're always constantly moving towards the future. That's the exciting, great thing about the gift of life. We're always moving to the future. But here's the reality that I've noticed. Most of us in life, most of us Christians, and most of us in the human race, we walk into our future backwards. Let let me explain that by demonstrating it. We literally walk into our future facing backwards towards our past. Now the problem is, you're all worried because I'm about to, oh! That's exactly the problem, is it not? I actually did that on purpose, just want you to know. Because when you walk into your future backwards, you can't see what's ahead. You're so consumed by what's behind and what you're basically doing is just saying this, my future will primarily be defined by the paradigm of my past. So we walk into the future facing backwards. We say that all this stuff here is the primary thing that's going to shape the stuff over here. And so our posture in life is to walk into our futures backwards. Now, don't get me wrong. The past is important. The past is is good. There's the good, bad, and ugly of your past, and the Lord has used that to shape who you are today. That there, there is stuff in your past that we want to learn from, that we need to learn from. There are failures that we've overcome that have strengthened us for today. The past is important. Don't, don't hear me as saying the past is not important. In fact, the Bible would tell us that the past tells us so much. I love the, the Israelites in their past, whenever they saw a significant moment in their lives, they'd put these memorial stones up so that generations in the future would look at those past moments and learn from them. The past is good. We're part of the New Testament church. We spend, as Christians, the majority of our time looking back to the cross, don't we? That's a moment in the past that gives us great strength for our present and our future. So I'm not saying the past is wrong. Here is what I'm saying. I think somehow we've got our direction of life wrong when the primary paradigm that shapes our present and our future is the past. I actually don't think the Bible presents that picture to us. I think actually the Bible presents a new paradigm. And I think many of us fail to actually grasp it. And and the people that I see who face the worst moments of life and are able to go on and flourish are ones who have learned to live life in a different direction. They've learned to actually walk into their future facing forwards. They've learned that the primary paradigm that will shape their understanding of their present is not their past, but their future. They're ones who have said that God's promises and God's call and what God says in His Word, they're the ones who have said, no matter what I might be experiencing here, shaped by the traumatic event of this, I'm actually going to believe that what God says about my future is far more powerful than what my past is trying to tell me about my future. They're ones who have learned to walk into the future facing forwards. I think this is what the Bible narrative is all about. See, if God wanted you to walk into your future backwards, He would have stopped at the end of Acts. Why do you think we have the book of Revelation in the Bible? The book of Revelation is there so that we can read it, understand it, and it's almost like God goes like this with the book of Revelation. He's like, hey, check this out, guys. Ready? This is the end of all things. 
This is what, now it's really complicated to understand it, but if you go right to 21 and 22 of Revelation, you'll see this beautiful picture of every tribe, every tongue, every language, every race coming together to worship Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what's at the end of all things? Here it is. This is the amazing thing that God is going to do. So live your life today on behalf of that story. See, I think the race issues that we're seeing in our world today would actually be quite shifted if people didn't walk into their futures backwards, but walked into their futures forwards. Can you imagine the thing that the church would have to say to the world if the church said, yeah, we honor the past. We, we, we know there's a past. Look, our nation has made mistakes in the past. The way we've treated people has been wrong in the past. But guess what God says about what's going to be there at the end of all things? Every tribe, every language, every tongue, every nation, every race together unified as one body praising Jesus. So I want to build a church today on behalf of that story, not that story. Are you with me? You have the great ability to create the future. God has placed this in your heart. It's why he gives us revelation. It's why he shows us what's at the end. So we, to live as Christ is to die, and to die is to be in gain. Because we say as Christians now, the primary thing that defines me is what God says about this world. Not what my brokenness has been saying about it. I don't want to turn dolphins into sharks. I want to see dolphins for the glory that they are. Now, let me shape this one more time, and then we'll get we'll open the Bible at some point. Don't worry, it's fine, it's fine. Before you think I'm some heresy guy. But I, I, want, I want to just give one other thought to you first before we go to Scripture, and it's this. What is the most spiritual activity that you engage in? Think about this for a sec. What is the most spiritual activity you engage in? Now, some of you might say prayer. Oh, prayer. It's all about prayer. I love prayer and connection with Jesus. Prayer brings me close to Jesus. Some of you in this room, you would think prayer. If you're like Gideon in this room, you would say worship, of course. Worship is the most important thing. Worship is the most spiritual activity you can ever engage in because you're not just praying, but you're experiencing God together as a community. Then Pastor Daniel will get up and he'll say, well, actually, the most spiritual activity is preaching the Word of God. Oh, because when, if you don't open the Word, then you're not going to know. And if you don't know, then how can you act and be? And so, obviously, the Word is the most spiritual activity. Your reading of it, your devotion in it, the preaching of it. And then your small groups pastor will shake their head and go, no, 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 it's all about community, man. That's the most spiritual thing you can do is get together with men and women and learn and grow and be in Christ together. It's community. That's the most spiritual activity. Which one is it for you? What is the most spiritual activity that you engage in? I want to put it to you something different. Think of it this way. Every single one of those things, as important as they are, prayer and worship and preaching and reading the Bible and community, as important as they are, think of it this way. Each one of those you have to choose to do. Track with me for a sec. Each one of those, there's an act before that act. And that's the act to actually engage in prayer. The decision to come to worship, even after a late night the night before. The decision to read scripture and open it for you. The decision to be in community. Your ability to choose is the most spiritual activity you will ever engage in. Come on, church. Your ability to choose is actually the most spiritual activity you will ever engage in. Am I going to choose to be defined by the past, or am I going to choose to allow God's vision of the future to be my primary context today? 
Now, the Bible, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but some of the greatest stories in Scripture are stories when God drives His people to a moment of decision. I mean, if you look back through the Old Testament in particular, it's about God meeting His people and bringing them to the point where they have to make a decision. Joshua one day stands before Israel and he goes, you need to choose today whether you'll choose death or life. My family, we're going to choose life. But you can choose. And there are so many examples in Scripture where people are brought into a place of decision. And here's the reason why. Because it's the most spiritual activity you will do. And God wants us as Christians to be able to decide what it is that we're going to live for. Are we going to decide to create our future or be consumed by our past? Let me uh, open the Scriptures now. Can I hear an amen? Yes, we're going to go to Exodus. If you have your Bibles, please, I want to show you one example of this process of decision when it comes to the future and the past. Everybody okay? Is this helping someone? Exodus 14, starting in verse 10. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they were and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. Everybody say terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. By the way, they never said that. They're turning dolphins into sharks in this moment, okay? They never, you know what they did cry out in Egypt? They cried out to God and they said, God, we need saving. We want freedom. That's why when God shows up at the burning bush with Moses, he says to him, I've heard the cries of the Israelites. But when you're in a place of fear, you always misinterpret the past. It's probably one of the good reasons why the future should be our primary paradigm. Then it says this, it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. This obviously is from the Exodus narrative. And this story that we're picking up today comes off the back of an incredible work of God. God God has met Moses with the burning bush and he's shown Moses that he wants to set his people free, the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. And so God comes to him at the burning bush and says, Okay, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses wrestles with the whole idea for a while, and eventually he's obedient, and he goes. And he says to Pharaoh, the Lord says, the Lord Almighty, let my people go. Now, here's the amazing thing. God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh says no. And then these plagues have to come, and all these plagues come upon Egypt. And eventually, towards the end of those plagues, Pharaoh goes, I can't take this anymore. I need to let these people go. And he releases Israel from their slavery, from their bondage, into the promised land. He lets them go into freedom. And this story picks up the time where the Israelites have been released from Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They're not yet there yet. And they've come up against the sea known as the Red Sea. 
And they're standing right there with the sea. And right at the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 14, God comes and he hardens Pharaoh's heart again. This is, this is unbelievable. I want you to see this. God hardens Pharaoh's heart again. So that Pharaoh literally goes, what have I just done? Why have I let the, the Israelites go? They were here serving us. Why have I done that? No, no, I need to get my army together. We need to chase after them and we need to bring them back. God did that. Hardens Pharaoh's heart to cause the armies to chase after the Israelites who are trying to get towards freedom. And the great question in the text that we should be asking is why? And here's the reason. Because God realizes for them the Israelites, to make their freedom sustainable, they had to face one more moment of decision. And this is their decision. The Israelites are standing there, and they have to their left the Red Sea, and on the other side of the Red Sea, they have the Promised Land, the freedom that God has promised them. And on their right-hand side, they see the Egyptian army marching after them. So they're in a position, note this, where they have their past coming at them really fast. And they have their future right there that seems impossible. And they're caught in the middle. And it's almost like what God is saying to them is, before you get there, you need to do this. You need to decide, will you be consumed by your past or will you create your future? So Israelites are standing there. And they look up, the Bible says, and they see their past running at them. Are they going to turn a dolphin into a shark? And here's what they do. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? When you're in a place of fear, you'll always get sarcastic. <laughs> Here, here's the Israelites, right? And they're in a place of great fear. And they do this beautiful sarcastic thing. They're like, well, there are not enough graves back there that we have to come here to die. But, but notice what they're saying. They're basically saying, this is the end. They're basically drawing a line in the sand. And they're saying, we're going to die here. This is over for us. See, note this. Fear will always tell you that you have no future. Always. Fear's primary purpose is to keep you locked in the present and locked in the past. It will tell you that there is no good future. And they are so terrified because their past is running at them that their only response is to say to, to Moses, basically, this is the place where we are going to die. There's no more future here. Now, now those of you that know your Bible would know that actually what's just ahead of them is one of the most significant moments of Israel's history. What's just about to take place for them is the parting of the Red Sea. And, and Jews to this day, when they look back in the Old Testament for the glory of God, they think of two moments. They think of the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. In other words, Israel in this moment, because they're so shaped and dominated by their past, are so afraid that they think this is the end of them, when actually they're just a moment away for the very thing that would be the making of them. The very thing that would actually come to define them as a nation. The parting of the Red Sea. And yet in the moment, their fear of the past thinks they have no future in the present. Some of you in this room, you're, you're facing a situation where, where fear and brokenness and hurt from your past is telling you that there is no future for you. When actually you're in a very moment 
that is about to be the making of you, the shaping of you. Because you have the choice to be consumed by the past or to create the future. Now, now notice what happens next. They then come to Moses and they say this. They say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out of the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die. Note this. (laughs) It would have been better for us to have stayed in our past. That's basically what they're saying. It would have been better for us to, to stay there than to face this moment of fear right here and to die right here in the desert. We should have stayed in the past. So often when we pray, we want God's outcome, but we don't want God's process. We, we, we want the freedom. Let me put it this way. Some of you are not experiencing freedom in your life because you want the outcome of freedom, but you're not willing to submit yourself to the process that will get you the freedom. Some of you need to go to counseling. <laughs> can't believe I just said that. Um, but some of you need to do something like go to counseling to, to get over the emotional abuse that you've had in your past. But because you think counseling is kind of weird and only for people with mental health issues, it's actually stopping the very process through which God wants to bring freedom in your life. Or, or whatever context it might mean for you. So often we pray for the outcome, but we're not willing to submit to the purpose, uh, to the process. And here's Israel wanting their freedom. And as God has brought them into a process of great decision, they now just want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to the brokenness and the pain of slavery. Think about this for a second. Man, <laughs> you ever wondered why you're in the relationship you're still in? <laughs> some, some of you are in a, a really bad relationship. Or you're in a job that you really hate. But if you're in a really bad relationship... You're so afraid of being alone that you would rather submit yourself to a bad relationship than face the uncertainty of a future without one. See, the future is scary. Some of you are in a job that you absolutely hate. But you would rather, you're you're so afraid of what it would be to provide for your family in the future without that job that you'd rather stay submitted to a job that's killing you than actually to step into a future that's uncertain, but it's the one God's calling you to. See, see, here's the thing. We would so often rather accept a past that actually keeps us captive than the mystery and uncertainty of a future that sets us free. We would so often, like the Israelites, actually submit ourselves to slavery because the idea of a future that's going to set us free seems so distant to us. It's scary. The future is scary because it is unknown. The future is scary because it requires faith. Note this, it doesn't require you any faith to remain in your slavery. (laughs) It doesn't require any effort on your part at all. What will require faith for you is to say, no, I'm going to make a decision not to be consumed by my past, but to create the future, and I'm going to choose to do that. Now notice what Moses says. Is this okay still? How much time do I have? Am I running out? No, I'm okay. All right. Everybody's like, oh, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. I love this. And you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, but you only need to be still. I love this advice from Moses because it seems really stupid. (laughs) I mean, they're in a moment where they need to go that way. 
and they have their past rushing on this way. And Moses' advice is, be still. And you can almost see Israel saying to Moses, we are being still. We don't want to go anywhere. We're frozen still. We're so terrified that we are still. And here's Moses saying, be still. So often when, when we read in the Bible the idea of being still, it, it's often the, the, the kind of beautiful concept, isn't it, of like, be still and know that I am God. The, the idea is kind of this, this idea that we're rushing ahead, we're going too fast, we're, we're trying too hard, we're working too much, we need to slow down and know God, right? That's not what Moses is saying here. He's actually saying the complete opposite. The Israelites are not rushing so fast into their future that they're missing God, and they need to slow down and know that God is there with them. They're beginning to plan to rush back to their past. And so Moses says, hang on a second. You guys are about to rush back to the slavery. Be still. It's like he's saying to them, every time that you think that you should retreat, be still. Every time that you think it's better to hold on to the past that keeps you broken, be still. Every time you think that it is actually worth more for me to be there than it is to create something that's unknown and scary over here, be still. Don't retreat. Moses is passionate for his people to be in a place of decision. Don't decide to go that way. Go, go elsewhere. Be still. And, and I, love, I love what God then says. This is so classic God. Daniel will understand the pain of this. God then says this. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. <laughs> this is like the classic pastor leader moment where the leader says, be still, church. And then God says, move on, church. <laughs> and it seems like these moments are contradictory, right? There's Moses trying to be the man of God saying, hey, be still. Don't go back there. It's almost like Moses is saying this. Israel, you need to say no to your past. That's the first step here. If, you're, if this message is speaking to you this morning, that's your first step. You have to say no to the past. But then God shows up and he says, great, that's only step one though. Not only are you to say no to your past, you also have to now say yes to your future. So once you've said no to your past, don't just stay where you are. Say yes to your future. Take that faith. And he says to them, move on. And then notice what he says. I love this. He goes this. He goes, raise up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. You've you got to really see what happens here. Moses, sorry, God doesn't look down on Moses and the Israelites in this moment, a moment of great desperation. And sees them beginning to say no to their past and go, awesome, great job, guys. Let me part the sea for you and you can go. No, no, no. He goes to Moses and he says, Moses, you need to model something here. You need to model what it means to choose to say yes to your future. You need to model what it means to have faith that what's ahead is better than what you're currently experiencing. You need to have and model in front of my people what it means to actually say yes to all of the promises that I've given you. In other words, Moses, I ain't going to part the Red Sea until you choose to do something first. He says, lift up your staff, raise out your hands, and I will then deliver my people. I mean, get your head around that for a moment. Israel's dying and crying out for a liberation moment. They're in desperate need. And God is still standing back. And he's saying the most spiritual activity you will ever do is to choose. And Moses, I'm not going to do it until you raise your staff and you stretch out your hand and watch what I'm about to do. 
See, see, I think this is the beautiful thing. I think for some of you in this room, this is a word in season for you. You need to actually raise your staff and spread out your hand and choose the goodness of a future, even though it might be scary and unknown and unsure, over the brokenness of your past. Think of it this way. Your past is not to be the model of your future. You know, when the New Testament speaks about restoration, it's always in the context of recreation. Think about this for a second. Every time the New Testament speaks about restoration, it's always in the context of recreation. When God restores, He recreates. This is why Paul, writing to the church, would say this, Hey, if you're in Christ Jesus, you've said no to your past and you've said yes to your future. You're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Everything has changed now for you. You're not the person that you used to be. You're now a new creation. See, see, when God restores, God recreates. You serve Jesus, the new, recre- the new creator. That, that's who Jesus is. He always will create something new for us. You're not just a brushed up 2.0. I'm not Andrew 2.0. I'm Andrew new creation before the Lord. Because that's the power of what the Christ does in us through His Spirit. And so for you in this moment, when you're thinking about, okay, do I go back to this past? Do I create my future? Your past is not to model your future. You are to say no to that, yes to this, look forward, raise your staff, stretch out your hand, and say, I believe that for God to do things, He recreates. He's always a God who does new. Now, if that's true, track with this for a sec. Here's what that really means. That every time as Christians... We decide that our current situation is going to be the model of our future situation. I think we've actually lost something of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because we've actually not following a Jesus that creates. We're following a Jesus that just mimics. Your God doesn't mimic. Your God creates. And he's created you to be a creator. Some of you in this room, what you want is God to change your past when what God wants is for you to shape the future. (laughs) And today, He's calling you to that. He's saying today is the chance for you, a decision moment for you. Like the Israelites who are standing there with the promised land just right there and their enemies rushing towards them. Are they going to choose to go backwards or forwards? Those Christians that I've worked with over the last number of years who are able to face the worst moments of life and flourish are those who have said no to the past and yes to the future. Even no matter how painful that might be, how difficult that might be, how sacrificial that might be, they've been willing to say faith to raise their hands, raise their staff, stretch out their hands and believe that what is ahead is the primary thing that should shape what they're thinking about And some of you in this room, that's important for you today. And God is here to minister to you and love you. And to say, man, I want you to create the future. I I want you to stretch out your hand and walk forward today. I want you to walk in front of yourself, facing forwards to the glory that God has, the word that he has, the promises he has, the vision he has, that those things will be the primary paradigm that would shape your future. If you're still turning dolphins into sharks, that maybe it's because Christ is calling you to a decision today. I wonder whether we could close our eyes. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. 
Thank you, Father. Father, we just come before you in this moment. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts. Father, there are men and women in this room, Lord, that I believe this is a word for them today. Father, we stand in this moment today also with the call of a decision. The most spiritual activity we ever do. And Father, I pray now. There are people in this room where they're tired of their past defining them. They realize some of the things that have happened, the deep traumas of life, the difficult broken relationships, the things that have taken place that have so shaped who they are today and they find themselves always constantly walking into their future backwards. And Lord, today as we've opened the word, we've seen a God who creates. We've seen a God who always calls us forwards. A God who wants us to walk towards him facing forwards. We honor our past. We don't ignore it. We recognize it. We receive freedom from it and we're grateful. But today, some of you need to make the decision, man. You've been walking into your future in the wrong direction. And today, you're going to make a decision to say no to your past and yes to your future. You're going to be making a decision to raise your hand and stretch out your staff today. You're going to be in a position today where you're going to go, yes, I want to make a choice. I want to make a choice. I don't know if it's all going to work out. The the future is scary. I may not have it all worked out. I may not exactly know what's going to happen, but I want God's future to define my present. Father, I want to pray that you would come now. And Lord, for those that need ministry today, because of some of that brokenness, you would come powerfully by your Holy Spirit. Lord, there are people in this room where fear is a primary paradigm for them, where worry and anxiousness where they're concerned about what's ahead, where all of that is bubbling away for them. And Father, you want to come by your power and your might and say to them, be still today. Be still. Don't rush back towards the thing that's comfortable and secure in your past, but step out to the mystery and uncertainty of a future that will set you free. Some of you, first of all, just need the Lord to come with his Holy Spirit and calm the fear. Calm the fear. And some of you here want the Holy Spirit to come and touch you with faith. Touch you with faith to say, I'm going to choose future. I'm going to choose the good thing of God. I'm going to choose what he says in his word about me, even if it's not what I'm experiencing today. Oh, I I hope that if I ever go scuba diving again, I'm not sure if I will, but if I ever do, I hope that if God sends me a dolphin, I'll see that dolphin for all the beauty that it is. Some of you, God is sending you good things at the moment and you're misinterpreting them simply because you're seeing through the lens of fear, not faith. And the Holy Spirit would say to you today, come on, make a decision. Make a decision. Will you stretch out your staff and raise out your hand?